Hello, Rise Together fam. Dave here. I thought I'd throw a Tuesday episode up. I'm sitting, looking out over the back patio. It's the calm before the storm. Kids coming back tomorrow. Uh, But I had a really interesting breakthrough on the way home from church. And I thought I would share a little of how uh, me crying through a sermon uh, is reminding me of what parts of me are still being healed. Now, as a little disclaimer coming in, I do reference going to church. I do talk about some things that happened inside of this sermon, but this episode is as much for someone who believes like I do as it is for someone who doesn't. Uh, I'm not going to try and decipher biblical texts or even convince you to try to come to church. So um, if you're up for a little bit of a look into my mind and the way that healing is happening and the way that sometimes hearing a certain message allows you access to the parts of you that you need to still work on, then uh, this episode's for you. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Just got out of a church service and I'm feeling all the feels. This kind of feels in the same way that you're probably not meant to go grocery shopping when you're hungry. I'm not sure that you're meant to podcast when you are feeling super emotional. So this could end up being garbage, may not even air, but uh, I was uh, just driving home and I can't stop thinking about the experience of this service. So I thought I'd come on and record a little bonus episode, giving you a little bit of my thoughts on um, feeling all the feels. We were uh, in, in service today. I have been going to this church for, I don't know, five years now called Austin New Church. And I haven't been in the building as often as I have been attending online since the pandemic. But I have made a a list of things that, hey, I want to try and have happen in my life in 2023. And I just keep coming back. Man, I've talked about it like a broken record, but like building real community in Austin is one of those things that like I just want to do and I need to do so badly. And I am hoping that uh, showing up in person and connecting with people in a building is going to be something of a conduit to the creation of some real community. So I've been going to church in person uh, again for a while, and I'm feeling good about it. But I also have this very interesting thing that has happened now a couple of different times in a row where something will come up in the service and it will create a reaction of tears. And I can't, like, I've I've been, man, journaling about this and thinking about it both on the drives there and back and whatever else. Like, I can't, um, I haven't been able to totally put my finger on it. And then as I was coming home from church today, I felt like I had something of a breakthrough. 
So in the beginning of the service, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen done in church, our pastor, my buddy, Jason Morris, such a good friend, that guy who uh, at the beginning of divorce sent me that same text every single day for like eight, nine weeks in a row. What small piece of sadness can I hold for you today? Such a good man. Um, he, after some of the worship was done and after there were some announcements made, he opened up an open mic to allow people in the congregation to talk about a topic that he placed up for discussion. And the conversation was anger or frustration or processing the hard feelings that are associated with um, what it kind of feels like at times to walk into this space, especially if you've had a circumstance that was not ideal earlier in your faith walk because of some of the maybe programmatic or dogmatic ways that a certain congregation told you as a, a woman that you had a place or didn't have a place, or as a person in the LGBTQ community that you had or didn't have a place, or um, whatever it might be. And the message the week prior was about how historically women hadn't been afforded as much a space to speak or presence in the church and like let's unpack the feelings around that and what it might mean in a world today that is hopefully affording more space and more you know hands up for women standing on stages and and living fully into who they are and so he'd opened up this open mic for people to talk about how the history that they've experienced in the church creates interesting feelings today as they sit in it. And there was something about hearing the stories of these, you know, normal people who had a life where someone, something, some structure, some pressure, some current in society telling them a certain way that they had to be and how it warped a little bit of how they felt that they had access to God or they had access to being all of who they knew they were put on this planet to be because of some of what was sold to them or told to them. And it was super emotional. I just like, I started crying maybe 12 minutes into this hour and 15 minute service. I did not stop until I got into my car. And I ended up posting a little bit about it, you know, in part because of the, the significance of the message that was delivered after this open mic opportunity. Um, I had plenty of people saying, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. That's like what happens when you are having something worked out. And now I've been sitting with, well, what was being worked out in me that this thing, like, yeah, I think there's some like natural empathy for hearing someone else's story and wishing that, man, it hadn't had to have been that way. But I knew there was something else that was happening. And I was like, what is being worked out? What's the, like, what's the Holy Spirit? What's God working out in me? The message itself was about the Beatitudes, blessed are the, right? All of the message that uh, exists there at the beginning of the uh, I want to say it's the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus ultimately delivers. The, the crux of the conversation was this idea where he's trying to lay out the Beatitudes and make sure that you're not mistaking them as prerequisites of how you have to be to attain access to God's love. Now, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're not a religious person or you're not into church or you're not even into God, just stick with me for a sec because like, I'm not. this is not going to be me um, trying to unpack a biblical 
text. This is not going to even be me trying to preach or convert you into showing up at my church on Sunday. The, the conversation, though, about like the prerequisites of what you have to do to be, quote unquote, good enough for God's love is a ridiculous idea in and of itself because there are none. You are, like I am, worthy of the, rece- the receipt of God's love right now before you do a single thing. And, and the, the, the reality in my own journey and what I now can see, having thought about it and done a little journaling about it after I got home, um, the reason why I cried for 58 minutes of an hour, 15 minute service is that the idea that I am good and worthy before I do anything comes back to and is connected to a core wound of mine that has not yet fully healed. And if you are someone who feels like your goodness or your worthiness or your deserving of love is a thing that comes with a contingency that you check certain boxes or do certain things or be a certain way, um, as long as far as God's concerned, first and foremost, his love comes without any conditions needing needing to be satisfied. And thank goodness for that. Gosh. For me... I've talked about it a few times on the show. I can feel like the, the emotion in my voice is making it tremble. I got to just take a breath. The way I was brought up, all right, I have two extraordinary parents. They are salt of the earth. They raised me in a really great home that was, yep, very religious, had a lot of rules. But I also happened to, in birth order, be the oldest of four kids where those four kids were born in like six and a half years, like right on top of each other. So there were just a lot of kids in the house as I was growing up. And in some ways, because of the way that our very strict religious household was organized, there was a a, a super clear uh, line of this is good and this is bad. This is right, this is wrong. Here's how you go to heaven, here's how you go to hell. And it was pretty binary and your hope the hope, I shouldn't say your hope, but the hope of the house was uh, be good, be right, go to heaven. And so in the combo platter of that as a, as a kind of fixture of our home and the way that birth order for me had me attempting to show that I was good when there was a lot of chaos running around, the thing that I turned to as an access point for love was achievement. I will go and get good grades and score the most goals and memorize the most Bible verses and all the things so that you will see me and that in seeing me do good, you will acknowledge me with the love I crave from you. And God, there were so many good things that came out of that programming when it came to it creating like a a drive in me and an ambition in me. And certainly I built a, a nice career and helped build some nice things inside of companies. But that double-edged sword of if I perform, if I achieve, then I will get love has a super dark side that in the last year, year and a half, two years, um, I've been having to do so much work to try and unlearn that I have to do anything in order to be worthy of receiving love in the first place. And guess what? Like, it's not just about um, like achievement for me. There, there are things that ultimately then tip into 
some of what has been unhealthy relationship patterns for me that look more like codependence than they look like showing up, that look like there's more a kind of transactional nature to the receipt of love than there is love just being shared back and forth without thinking about um, like receipts, as it were. Um, I mean, I know when I was working at Disney, there were plenty of times where I had access to um, a handful of things. They were so cool, right? Like going to a movie premiere or getting passes into Disneyland or whatever. And there was some part of this maladaptive thinking that I picked up as a child that had me trying to put my finger on the scale of my own friendships that, hey, be friends with me. Not, not necessarily because I in and of myself am worthy of and, and am a good friend, um, but if you're friends with me, you also can get an, you know, a free pass into Disneyland or you know, I might be able to bring you to a movie premiere. Like I was trying to kind of tip the scales because of some insecurity or because of some part of how I learned how to be loved that if I could offer this gift with purchase, then I reduce the chances of being rejected or I reduce the chances of not being loved back. And there were plenty of things that existed in my marriage that were byproducts of that. I jumped so quickly into relationship with Heidi, a thing that I freaking love. I, I'm so grateful for you know every single thing that came in that relationship. But as much as I've looked for the book that says, you know, after a 16-year marriage, you should run immediately into a new relationship, it doesn't exist. And don't worry, I'm not going to write it. <laughs> but um, part of what happens when you move quickly from one relationship to the next is that you don't get to do the investigative reporting on what of the things that you've done that aren't ideal in connection or in codependence, and you just bring those same patterns into the next relationship. And so I, I find myself now, you know, trying to spend a little bit more time, Dave, spend some time doing the investigative work to understand what these patterns are or what this thinking is and deconstruct it so that I can heal some of that core wound. So I've said the word core wound a couple of times, you know, as much as Heidi and I aren't dating anymore, we're still working together in a variety of capacities. Among them is this really cool mastermind that we have inside of the fitness community we run. And this last week, she was teaching on this idea of core wounds. I'm going to bring it back to, to my church epiphany in, at the end of this, but um, we were talking about core wounds and we were introducing this idea because if you can understand what it is that you have as a core wound, you understand why you do almost everything you do period. I mean, it sometimes informs the, the good things you do, but it also sometimes informs the bad things you do. And so the, the questions that we were asking this group are the questions that I've been asking myself in the aftermath of this church service today, but also in the last year's worth of time. And it's the question I'd ask you today as well, which is, you know, do you have a sense of, do you have a handle at all on what your core wound is? Now, for a lot of us, like a core wound is something that happens when we're young, right? So like I can go back and for me, it's like a seven-year-old version of me who is trying so badly to be seen in a house with now three small kids 
by doing everything he can to be the best, the perfect, the shiniest object of them all, because I am desperate to be seen and beloved. And the times when I didn't have access to the love that I craved, because yeah, I'm sure there were other things that were happening, like feeding and taking care of three other small babies in the house, it triggered something of a wound that said, you just got to work harder. You just got to work harder. You got to push more. You got to achieve something greater. You have to become something bigger because you're not big enough right now. And in the absence of being big, this smallness is why you're not getting love. So like my core wound goes back to this, like this thing that existed inside of this pretty discreet window of my life, but then has these like rippling echoes of I'm not worthy or I'm not enough as I am on my own, or I'm not lovable if I don't sweeten the pot with some kind of gift with purchase. Like those things are all this byproduct of that wound that existed then. And so the work that I have, and I think the work that anybody ends up having, is to go back and understand what the heck that wound actually is, why that wound actually existed, and then find some ways to uh, deconstruct it or make some of the lies that come in it completely unbelievable because of some of the truths that you now know about yourself, about your world, about your God, whatever it might end up being. And so if you, know, if you have uh, a core wound of that you're not worthy, like the work that you end up having is to find those examples of your worthiness that are present all around you every day, all day. And it's not a thing, by the way, that like, oh, well, I'll, just, I'll identify it on a Thursday afternoon and by uh, Saturday morning, that wound will be healed. No, <laughs> like you're going to go on a healing journey that's potentially going to take time. But when you're able to start that journey, then you actually give yourself this glimmer of hope, this possibility that the way that you've always almost automatically, like reflexively responded to things is something that you can interrupt because you now, now, now have some new information and a different way of thinking about who you are and why you do what you do that'll have you making a different kind of choice. Uh, you know, I've been, like, I've been having this conversation in therapy for about two years now. I've been really doing a ton of work on this idea of core wound for at least six months. And I still catch myself almost every day doing something that I'm like, holy goodness, Dave, quit feeding into that insecure thing that existed inside of you when you were seven, you are not seven any longer. At the same time, what I've had to also really do, and I would encourage anyone who does any exploration around core wounds to also do, I have had to develop a massive amount of compassion for the seven-year-old needs that still exist inside of my body. Because that little boy who was desperate to be loved, is still there, hands open, asking to have some of his experience honored. And so I, I, you know, I tended to be a pretty tough judge of myself. And tough judgment is the last thing that the seven-year-old version of me who's still hurting needs. He just wants to be seen. He wants to have those feelings honored and acknowledged, and he wants to be made to feel safe. And so that, you know, it's, it takes some self-awareness, but also just a massive, massive amount of compassion. So the, the, the three things that I would suggest that, you know, anyone try to do, if you want to do some work on your core wound, this is what's been helpful for me. 
the first thing that you have to do is name it, right? Like just take some time to actually acknowledge, oh, this is my core wound. This is wh why it exists. This is what it feels like. Um, these are the patterns that it's created. Here are some of the choices that I've made because of the way that this wound is still present and not fully healed, um, but you name it. The second thing is that um, you really take notice of how it controls you to this point. You, you spend time actually seeing how it's been present in your current day life, right? How does the fact that you haven't fully addressed or haven't fully acknowledged or haven't fully honored that this wound exists, how does it happen to show up in your life with your decisions? How does it make your body feel? If, you know, like a lot of times, you know, when I am feeling anxious, it's because I'm wildly out of alignment with something that my core wound is begging me to pay attention to. And so the, the more that you can be aware of, okay, how does it present in my body? Does it, does it raise my blood pressure? Does it make me sweat? Does it make me get a stomach butterfly? Does it like whatever, whatever it ends up being, the more that you can really take notice to how it controls you, the more that you're going to be able to take the third step, which is um, how you address it when um, that voice starts to speak. So the third thing you need to do, make a plan to address your inner wounded voice, right? Knowing that you've got the issue or knowing that you're working through the healing, like that's the first thing. There's power in just the knowledge of that. But it also requires that you're going to be kind of tactical about how you want to try and actually attend to the wound. Now, for me, sometimes my tactical attending is having a conversation with my therapist. Sometimes it's journaling. Sometimes it's praying. Today, it was spending time in church because there was a healing salve that was delivered in the midst of a sermon about the prerequisites of me being lovable, as in there are none, that was the thing that my seven-year-old needed to hear more than anything. But whatever it is, you just got to make a plan. And slowly but surely, you'll get to chip away at this thing and start to feel better. The work is not easy. I will tell you this, you know, I don't want to be like very clear that, um, my core wound, like the story of like me desiring to be loved by a great mom and dad who happened to have kids back to back may seem like the highest class problems to have a wound that I am recovering from relative to what you've been through. And I don't want to diminish any of what you've been through. Uh, I want to honor it for sure. Um, but also in saying that, some of the wounds that might exist, especially if you grew up in a, in a physically or emotionally abusive household, if you're coming out of you know, anything that has like deep, deep trauma uh, or, or massive amounts of grief, there's going to be extra excavating. It's going to take tenderness, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take compassion. But as you're able to chip away at it, it's going to produce healing you're going to become more whole. And I am on this journey of wholeness. Like I'm closer to whole than I've ever been. And it's, there are still days where I break into tears and wish that it didn't, it wasn't so, it wasn't so hard to have to confront all of the feelings all of the time. And yet here we are. So when I bring it back to the church service and what the heck was actually happening while I'm crying uncontrollably 
in the back of a uh, of a church with a man who was uh, a new attendee who I was happy to meet, who also was wearing a cowboy hat the entire time. There is no shade being thrown here, just an admirer of both his hat and the fact that he was uh, here for the first time. I just want to also sidebar, not related, apologize to everyone I've ever sat in front of at any public gathering ever as a six foot four man. Um, I just got a dose of my own medicine and I had never experienced it before. Uh, but back to back to church. Why was I crying at the in the back of this church? I was crying tears of healing. I was crying tears of hearing a thing that my seven-year-old wound, my seven-year-old version of me that that wants to be loved so badly he thinks he has to hustle to be lovable. It was a it was a remedy. It was Robitussin for my heart. And in a world where so many messages in the world will tell you the things that reinforce the thing that you were wounded by, finding something that can be an antithesis of the messaging of the world or the messaging of what it means to be a good woman or a good man, what it means to be a good mom or a good dad, what it means to be good generally is so influenced by marketing, is so influenced by a whole host of systemic forces that are so much bigger than any single one of us that getting back to a place where the simplicity of this message of a higher power loving me before I've done a thing made all the rest of that noise quiet at least for that hour and 15 minutes. That's why I was crying. And I, I, I just know for me, my journey, I got to keep going back to that well because my ability to feel lovable before I've accomplished anything or done anything is hard when I'm back in my peer group, when I'm in a relationship, when I'm like, there's, there are things that just are triggers when I'm in the world that when I'm in my spiritual practice, they fade away. And so I don't know what it'll be for you. But uh, one, if you need to hear a good word at a church today, I will tell you this, you ain't got to do a stinking thing to be loved by God. He loves you just as you are, just as broken as you are. He loves you like he loves me. And it makes me cry because I need to be loved I want to be loved uh, before I've had to do one single thing, um, and I am, and so are you. Um, but two, doing the work of spending some time to understand why you, were you to be sitting inside of a sermon, might find yourself crying without explanation, could come back to your willingness to dig into your core wound. What is the thing? that happened when you were young, who was the person, what is the system, what was the circumstance, what was the a traumatic event, whatever it is, that created for you some set of beliefs that because of their existence hamstrings you from fully making the empowered decisions that you'd hope to make, the, 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 the decisions that would have you feeling most aligned and integrated into who you know yourself to be placed on this earth to be. If it's a spiritual practice, fantastic. If it's therapy, fantastic. If it's a fitness community, fantastic. If it's, you know, whatever it is, um, I hope that you'll find it because it's not easy work, 
but it is in real time for me ending up to be pretty transformational and important work in me getting to be free from the way the wound in intercedes in me making decisions that ultimately compromise some of the way that I have access to loving myself. Because when I don't think I'm lovable until I do a certain thing, I don't think I'm lovable as I am. And neither will you. All right, there you go. Thoughts after a church service, I hope. Goodness, um, I hope that was helpful. Uh, I appreciate y'all. And I hope you're having a good Tuesday. We'll see you on Thursday for another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah, and it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th. And it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her, and that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com.